Uh, good morning to you. It is very special to be together on this Good Friday morning, isn't it? My name is Vanessa Hughes and I'm part of the pastoral team here. I've got three children and my littlest, William Hughes, started kindy this year. And so term one ended with exhaustion, um, but much excitement as they prepared for Easter. They made their gorgeous little paper baskets and filled them with chocolate eggs, which on the last day of term they were allowed to eat. Um, and of course the exciting Easter hat parade, which is always very cute. I had a really interesting conversation with him on uh, the last Wednesday after his final scripture lesson. When I picked him up from school, <clears throat> you could see he was bursting with something to tell me. And as he sat in the, in the back seat of the car and he put his seatbelt on, he said, Mum, you know Jesus? And I said to him, yeah, yeah, I know Jesus. He said, he died on a cross. Now, William has grown up in the church and he has sung songs like this. <clears throat> Jesus is the mighty, mighty king. God made him the boss of everything. Jesus is the mighty, mighty king. You might have heard this one. Who's the king of the jungle? Who's the king of the sea? Who's the king of the universe? Who's the king of me? Well, he can tell you. It's J-E-S-U-S. -S. Yes, Jesus is the king. So you can understand that when William realised that he died on a cross this week, he was really shocked. Here's a picture of a drawing that he did himself, inspired by the news he'd just heard. John chapter 19, verses 17 to 18 say, Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and two others with him, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. It is actually a hard image to reconcile with a mighty king, boss of the universe, dying on a cross. Now, I had a moment of horror that my son, the son of a kids minister of many, many years, felt like that it was fresh news that Jesus had died on a cross. And once I set that aside, I was actually grateful to see this very familiar event through fresh eyes. His shock is kind of fair enough, isn't it? It's not really the picture of a king crucified in this horrible public execution, a method designed to be most painful, horrific, and communicating humiliation. And for the Jewish people who'd been awaiting their promised king, Jesus' death didn't really fit the picture of a king who was coming to save them. Suffering for the ancients was not a sign of God's presence, it was really the opposite. Crucifixion as a sign of glory was a shocking idea in the first century. Even in the Greco-Roman world, it would have been incomprehensible that a god would die. And this view of the foolishness of the cross <clears throat> was beautifully preserved for us in a third century piece of anti-Christian graffiti. It was found on the wall of a Roman guardhouse drawn to mock a man named Alexamenos, who otherwise we probably would never have known of maybe even uh, imprisoned on the other side of this wall. The picture shows a crucified man with a mule's head. And on the left is Alexa Menos with his arm raised, worshipping this God. And underneath, written in Greek, are the words, Alexa Menos worships God. 
It's just designed to be an insult. In other words, it's saying worshipping a man who was crucified and calling him a god is stupid and foolish. A crucified Messiah, the promised king, must have seemed like a contradiction in terms to any Jew, Greek or Roman. And so was Jesus a king? Well, this was the question at the centre of the trial between Pilate and Jesus in chapter 18 to 19. It was the offensive claim that Jesus made in that triumphant entry that led the high priests to seek his death. The trial concluded with Jesus charged and sentenced to death in chapter 19, verses 19 to 22 say. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Pilate's notice detailed the charge, Jesus, king of the Jews, a title that the Jewish authorities most opposed. Did Pilate really think that Jesus was a king? Well, his interests are really just political. He concedes to the crucifixion to appease the crowd, but he takes every opportunity and enjoys them to mock and ridicule the Jewish authorities. The Roman soldiers fashion a crown out of thorns. They lay on him a royal purple robe and they fasten this notice above his head in every local language, ensuring that anyone who passes by this public execution sees this beating, bleeding, defeated man and reads, this is your king of the Jews. The high priests asked Pilate to change the notice. Rather than he is the king of the Jews, could it just say that he claimed to be the king of the Jews? They look at Jesus, this this thirsty, also 30, humiliated man, and they don't see the promised king that they were hoping for. How could a man on a cross come to save God's people? While the, the Romans mock Jesus as a king, the Jewish authorities simply missed it. And of course, the irony here is unmissable, that Pilate, whose joy was in insulting the Jews and Jesus, happened to proclaim the truth in his notice. Is almost funny. And it is this certainty that Jesus is the promised king that John most wants us to get. He records the details of the crucifixion for us in verses 23 to 37 to show exactly the death in accordance with the scriptures. He tells us so three times. In verses 24, 28 and 36, he repeats this message that all these things happened in accordance with the scriptures. Here are some references from chapter 19 with their Old Testament corresponding verses. The pattern of suffering in the Psalms, the promise of a servant king in Isaiah, the tradition of the Passover lamb, all lead us to Jesus' death on a cross. God laid down pattern and <clears throat> pardon me. God laid down pattern and expectation in the scriptures. 
all of which Jesus fulfills. John was a Jew, and like other Christian preachers in the first century, he wasn't trying to separate Christianity from its Jewish roots. For John, nothing was more certain than that Jesus was the promised king, the special agent of God who died according to the scriptures. I don't know about you, but but I often wonder um, how a Jewish person could have missed it. When we read these scriptures, their Old Testament hopes, it seems so obvious to us that Jesus fulfilled them, that he was the one they were hoping for. But they were holding so tightly to their religion that all they saw in Jesus was a lawbreaker. They were so interested in seeing their enemies punished that they missed their own saviour. In chapter 1, verse 11, John spoke of this when he said, He came to that which was his own. His own did not receive him. We must be careful in our own culture today that we wouldn't be so convinced of our own truth, that we wouldn't be so defensive and protective of our own opinions that we're not able to see God, that we might also miss Jesus. Something to ponder. And so understanding the fulfilment in chapter 19 and in the crucifixion, we can be certain of two things. The crucifixion conforms with God's plan, as unexpected as it seems. It was the sovereign hand of God that led Jesus to the cross in the exact manner that we read here. Jesus was obedient to the Father and he served him to his death. In the great paradox of the cross, as Jesus lays down his glory to die. It's the act in which he's most glorified. Jesus' death is the once and for all act of God to save his people. What was the saving work of the Messiah? Well, Isaiah 53, which was read out earlier, gives us a really good, clear picture. The servant of God, the promised Messiah, would be rejected and despised. He suffered and was pierced and punished. Why? To bear our suffering and our punishment, crushed for our iniquities. All of our offences against God leave us in debt and they're paid for by Jesus so that we might experience his peace and healing. And this saving work, Jesus declares in verse 30, it is finished. Recently, I um, had an experience that left an impression on me, and I thought I would share it with you now. The other day, um, for a holiday outing, I took my kids out to see uh, my dad, their grandfather, at work. He's a magistrate in a local court, and so we went to go and watch um, a session of court. Uh, I I did treat my kids to such a good time. We even went through the car wash on the way. (laughs) I wanted them to see him at work and and I wanted them to develop their compassion as they saw just the complexities and complications of people's lives. And there were two really um, standout cases that I don't think we'll ever forget. The first was a man who had been charged with a driving offence. He sat next to us actually in the public gallery and as his case was heard, he sat next to us with his head in his hands sobbing. His lawyer explained that he'd had a lifelong battle with addiction and that he really was genuinely trying to seek help. 
The man was obviously ashamed and sorry to be in this situation. But as we listened to the details of the case, it was clear that he also deserved punishment. But we could observe and audibly hear his regret. He did receive a hefty fine, and as he got up and left the room, I noticed that he took off the wall a flyer. It was, I found out later, an information booklet from Centrelink, helping people access um, a service that helps them pay out their allowance slowly over months and years so that they can pay their fine. And I was left with a very powerful image of a man leaving with a punishment that he did deserve, but with a very heavy debt that he couldn't pay. And the next man who came had been taken into custody, so he was standing in the docks, and he was applying for bail, and on the other side of us sat his girlfriend and his cousin. He'd been arrested for putting illegal cash through poker machines, he's basically laundering money. And while my dad addressed him and read the details of his matter, he constantly interrupted with excuses and objections. He was totally miffed that he'd been arrested, and though it was not his first offence, thought it was outrageous that he'd be denied bail, which was set at $5,000. And in a very desperate bid to be released that day, he yelled, $10,000! I'll pay $10,000! Now, we were close enough to his family to hear their conversation And they were saying to each other, do you have any money? No, I don't have any money. Do you have any money? No, I've got nothing. This man was charged also with wrongdoing and he carried a debt that he couldn't pay. Though both very different in their attitudes and responses, both of these men had done wrong. They both ended up with a debt that they just couldn't pay. And I don't know that we're so dissimilar to these two men that I saw in court that day because we too will stand before our judge. He will look into our hearts and see our imperfect lives. It's a simple truth, isn't it, that we all fail. And we've accumulated a debt, one that's heavy and difficult for us to pay. And it's to this that Jesus says, I have carried it on the cross and it is finished. Jesus is the king of the Jews. His crucifixion was the saving work he came to do. And it is finished. The Jewish authorities had missed it. The Romans had mocked it. But John, the disciple who Jesus loved, was there. He stood with the faithful, devoted women we read about in verses 25 to 27. William's picture beautifully includes these witnesses. Such an accurate picture for a boy who had fresh understanding of this event, I think. John, who saw it all, wrote these things to testify to what he knew to be true. Verse 35 says, and he testifies so that you also may believe. If you came today, head in your hands, carrying the heavy weight of failure or shame, Then look upon your king on the cross and hear him say to you, it is finished. Leave your heavy burdens at the cross today and exchange them for his peace. If you are someone more stubborn-hearted, justifying your actions, asserting your case, 
stop. And look also to Jesus and this very familiar event with fresh eyes today. Don't miss him or mock him. The debt you carry, he carried upon himself, and he says to you also, it is finished. Believe in him. Entrust yourself to Jesus, relying on his death to pay your debt, knowing that the promised king has accomplished his saving works.